Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Revisited Mysteries, a podcast where we dive into all of the unsolved mysteries, whether they're from the old school My Man Robert Stacks version or the newly interpreted and adapted Netflix version of Unsolved Mysteries. We're going to be talking about a case from the reboot on Netflix, and that is the case of the Lady in the Lake the case of Joanne Matuk and her mysterious disappearance and then her you know mysterious findings of her body and so a deep heavy warning will be issued for this podcast so um warning if you have any issue listening to very um graphic depictions of crime scenes or if you're just you know really not into any kind of crime scene revolving a church then I would skip this week's episode since you know after all it is Easter weekend happy to those who celebrate also happy Easter weekend to my pagan friends as well since we all do know what the Easter bunny represents for the pagans you know fertility and everything and happy spring equinox you guys so i just thought we would kick it off with a case that does you know happen in the dead of winter but i think that's you know just our way of saying goodbye to the snow and hello to spring so without further ado here is the lady in the lake the case of joanne matuk Hi, 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 friends. Um, I feel like last or that intro I just did is a lot better than the last episode's intro. And thank you guys so much for everyone who listened to my podcast episode about Malaysian flight MH370. If you did not catch it, I highly recommend you do because man, is that a subject I really like to talk about. Okay, so This week, I decided that I'm just feeling real eager and wanted to talk about another case with you guys, and that's the case of Joanne Matuk, and she's the lady in the lake. So Joanne Matuk is from Gross Point, Michigan, and Gross Point, Michigan is a very um, bougie, upper-class neighborhood. It's a small town. Everyone knows each other, that sort of atmosphere. She went missing on January 12th, 2010. She was 55, and she was a divorcee. She had grown children, and she was a devout Catholic. This was a woman of her community. You know, everyone loved her. She was well-liked, well-received, and a very active in Gross Point, Michigan, okay? Um, so our story starts um, at 6 p.m. that night. She drops off her son, at home and tells him that, hey, I'm going to go up the road to the gas station to get gas so that I won't have to do it in the morning before work. And her son gets out of the car, goes in the house, and that's the last time anyone from Joanne's family is sees her alive, unfortunately. And after that, she arrives at the gas station that she normally goes to. The gas attendant came out and pumped her gas, which I thought was really cute. You know, the fact that it's 2010 and she's still getting her gas pumped like go joanne something about a small town is just so like you know yum you know um but you know the gas attendant says they had a really good conversation just small talk like how's your family kids good how's your family how's work you know yada yada pumps the gas and then he 
you know, proceeds to see Joanne drive off. Now, remember I opened the podcast stating that Joanne was a devout Catholic. And if you know anything about Catholics, you know that Catholics are really into prayer. And honestly, I think that's probably one of the positives of Catholicism for me is just that I really do believe in the power of prayer and power of manifestation and just believing in a dream and a hope and a wish and a concept so much that you can actually... Um, you know, materialize that into reality is just amazing. So um, prayer service at the St. Paul's Catholic Church in Gross Point, Michigan starts at seven. Usually it runs about 15 to 20 minutes. Joanne shows up. She sits in the back of the church, according to a couple of witnesses. They did see her that night. And then around 7.15 service had ended and Um, Joanne was seen then exiting the church. Now, what happens next is a mystery because we really, as the viewers, the readers, the investigators, the police, her family, we kind of really know, don't know, I mean, exactly what happens from this point. Uh, According to some witnesses, I'm going to kind of like now talk about kind of what the witnesses have stated. I'm going to kind of go a little bit back in time because several witnesses, including a co-worker, stated that in the weeks leading up to Joanne's um, incident we're about to talk about, and uh, she uh, was seen to have been acting really nervous. She seemed to be um, very paranoid, did not like going to a lot of places alone. She was taking a lot of frequent phone calls at work, which is not normal. And she was actually stepping out of the small boutique she worked at in town to take these phone calls. And her coworker says that is like not like Joanne. Joanne is an open book. If she is going to, you know, answer the phone, she's going to answer the phone in front of you and like have no qualms saying what she needs to say. Okay. Joanne is a mother, you know, she's mothering all over this town so she she's a bad bitch she's not gonna like you know take shit lying down but this strong woman you know in the weeks leading up to the incident uh I can't believe I just have to keep calling that because I I hate that I have to sidetrack like this I would normally want to you know put all this after we talk about the crime scene and everything but it's really important before we get there because of the decision making at said crime scene okay so The witness stated that, you know, Joanne was just really paranoid, not herself, like, was just acting as if she was being followed. She was afraid that her phone was being tapped, that her mail was being stolen at the post office. Like, it was getting erratic, right? And the only safe place that she felt going alone was church. So, now let's go to the witnesses of the church. So that night, several witnesses said that they heard right after church services around 7.15, her car alarm going off. They said that they looked in the parking lot and saw the, um, the car alarm going off on her Lexus. And they said that the alarm blared for about 15 seconds and then it went off. I mean, we've all heard car alarms go off in parking lots. Like, I feel like at this point in just modern day society and automotive, you know, advancement. If we hear a car alarm, like we're really not gonna, are we really gonna notice really? I mean, of course we're all gonna like look, but then once we see, oh, it's just, you know, 
a car alarm. Then we all kind of go about our, t- our days. And if we do have negative thoughts, like, oh, I wonder if something's happening. Most people are just like, oh, shit, I wonder if something's happening. We better get out of here before it happens to us, right? You know, um, so nothing is done about you know, the fact that her car alarm went off for 15 seconds, like that's not even really included in the initial investigation because it it, it just is kind of almost like, you know, that could be something, but I don't know. So after that, then there is the person, one of the witnesses in the church, she's the last to leave around 735 states that she then sees no cars in the parking lot. And which kind of made her feel a little eerie because, you know, she was like, oh, I'm the last one here and I'm now in a, a dark parking lot alone. I better hurry up out of here. Which is funny because in the crime scene we're about to investigate, one of the pieces of evidence was that her car was actually found in the parking lot around nine o'clock that night. So how do you explain a car, which is part of the initial evidence of this investigation and then part of the decision of what the answer of the investigation is, is, you know, missing for a while. And that's not even really included in the initial investigation. Then again, these are just witness statements. So do we know 100% that that woman, you know, didn't see that Lexus in the parking lot? Like maybe it in fact was there and she just didn't notice because it was a dark parking lot. Yeah, that that's possible. But the fact after we start to discuss the details of this case, you really have a hard time believing that that car was in the parking lot when police say that it was and for the duration of time they say it was. So, without further ado, let's get into the actual crime scene now. Okay, so yeah, surprise. This is a crime scene. Um, Joanne's is uh, reported that she does not, you know, she's not home after service ends around 7.15. Um, police are just simply patrolling the area and they happen to stumble upon Joanne's car. And it's around nine o'clock now at the St. Paul's Catholic Church in the middle of the night in Gross Point, Michigan. And police on site, you know, they go up to the car, notice that it is locked and they, you know, appear inside of, or I'm sorry, they notice it's unlocked. The car is unlocked, not locked. Oh my God. Anyways, they appear inside and they open up the door and they see that her purse is in fact in the passenger seat still in the car no keys are found in the car no cell phone no you know body no human nothing okay it's just an empty car with her bag in it and anyone who knows a ladies with their bags what is the likelihood in the middle of the night we're just gonna leave our fucking purse on the driver's side seat? Yeah, no. Um, it's either gonna get stolen or it, you know, it better be on me or I'm stolen. You know what I mean? Um, so police then are like, oh, that's weird. Uh, let's just, you know, go walk around the area and let's like, you know, survey the place and see maybe if we can find the person whose car this is. Maybe they're still in the church or maybe they're possibly vandals. Who knows? Let's go try to figure this out. Police then, for some reason, I get, I don't even know, they don't even state in the show how police even end up crossing two sets of two-lane traffic roads to get across the street to this embankment where they supposedly find, quote-unquote, women-sized footprints leading to this 
almost 90 degree angle embankment like a concrete slope down like imagine like a big like kind of like a drainage ditch or like the edge of like it basically was the edge of a bay and that they were trying to almost like create like a seawall and so it's this like 90 degree almost embankment and they supposedly see footprints walking to it and then police on site immediately and i know you guys are going to cringe as much as i did are like oh this is a suicide excuse me like the woman was apparently wearing high heel boots that night and she's in the middle like dead of winter in michigan and your first reaction is like oh these little footprints granted you know this is of course the dead of winter in michigan michigan is known for like you know i guess like you know deer and like all kinds of things just like frolicking about also like what if there was other people who possibly could have been walking by i mean this is still like it's a waterfront if you're into like that kind of stuff and like you don't mind the cold and you have like maybe a husky it'd be great but no police immediately were like oh that's a high heel boot print like they would know you know these are men from the Midwest. I highly doubt it. But then again, I'll give you guys the benefit of the doubt. Um, but they immediately are like, oh, yeah, she just like walked into uh, down this embankment and then decided to go then walk over another concrete set of wall, like a wall with rocks and then go down another one and then walk out like 100 yards in shallow frozen water to then commit suicide. Like, you know, I'm I'm not saying that maybe, you know, the police force in this town doesn't get enough, like, practice at a murder case. Because um, I'm sure there's, like, white-collar crime happening all over this, you know, fiesta of a rich people town. But I just kind of have a feeling, like, these are not the cops that, like, really deal with, like, a, a very intense homicide investigation so then here comes the chief of police so let's go back to the crime scene nine o'clock chief of police shows up looks at all the evidence looks at the photographical evidence that's taken and is like oh yeah is on site for five minutes you guys five minutes and is like yep this is a suicide let's go home boys so they call off the um, helicopters, uh, they call off the divers, they call off the search, and um, that's kind of it. Um, there is a private search that is initiated by friends and family. Again, Joanne was a very powerful woman in this little rich town. And they were like, no, we're going to fight for our, our girl. Like, we're going to go find her. So three days, an extensive search was performed. They had expert divers, you guys. Like, they brought in their own diving team. And they were like, we're going to find Joanne if she supposedly decided to go commit suicide. The devout Catholic woman, right, decided to go do that. We're going to find her in the shallow, you know, where there's a non-existent current she's gonna you know do that right yeah no of course we're all like a duh they're not gonna find her body there so with joanne still missing police are still claiming that this is a suicide that's sort of the police's statement they put a stamp on it boom it's done the family is just not having it and they throughout this whole case bring in a couple of different private investigators and um you know two of them are really key to kind of where we end up in this case because in my opinion it's still an unsolved case 
Um, the police in Gross Point, Michigan, they can beg to differ, but I am just, yeah, I really think there's some shady shit that happened to Joanne Matuk. So now that we've talked about the crime scene, let's kind of talk about the family and their reaction. And let's talk a little bit about her family. So as I mentioned in the beginning, Joanne is a divorcee. She was married to her husband, And, um, they were married for 25 years and, um, you know, it was a really toxic relationship and it it was just not a good situation. Apparently there was, um, just a lot of arguing, a lot of just high tensions. You know, I feel like we all are there, but, um, things with her ex David were just not in a place where Joanne could deal with it anymore. So she had divorced her husband, which made her, her ex-husband David really mad. I'd imagine it would. So her daughter immediately was like, I don't want to believe that my dad could be a suspect, but he was still putting on, put on the list. Okay. Um, the daughter and her sister, her son, uh, her brother, uh, all grown at the time. They were in their twenties. I believe I, the son, David at the time, he was the youngest. And I think he might've been 19 or 20 and they were all living at home with mom. They were all really close. Um, she, Joanne loved her children. Her children loved her. She was the life of the party. They had a really strong bond. So for me to like hear her daughter immediately be like, um, I'm going to add my dad to list the suspect could just tell you almost like the kind of people that live in grow. Point, Michigan, because another one of the suspects is her own brother, John Matuk. So John is a, you know, a guy that you would see possibly as an extra in the Wolf of Wall Street. He's a very Trump-esque type of businessman. He makes really big risks and deals and most of the time they fall short and he happens to borrow money from a lot of powerful people and I think we've all seen enough movies that are usually like set in Boston or Chicago and we all or New York and we all know how that's gonna end okay so let's think of you know like a a Goodfellas uh moment you know like Robert De Niro you know killing that guy in the trunk or let's think of like a moment with you know the horse head in the bed and the godfather like that kind of situation john was just a scavy person like just really like ick factor right but joanne loved her little brother and john loved joanne more than anyone on the planet okay so like this guy was actively involved in the netflix episode he was interviewed he you know talked about how he yeah did do a lot of shady dealings with some shady people and if they killed joanne i'm not even kidding you his remark was like you know i really feel bad about it but like it's it's not my fault like what what do you mean it's not your fault my dude like I'm sure it would be because you're dealing with like mobsters and such like just not good things but I feel like that's the usual white collar entrapments when you have a certain amount of money or you're aiming for a certain amount of money if you catch my drift so um the other witness and this one is really interesting and honestly gives me like major x and real chill factor her like just oh like goosebumps down my spine her brother john is just kind of i don't know it's almost like he's the obvious choice was kind of like to me a boring option but the other one is her first cousin tim matuk so 
The Matooks were a really close-knit family growing up. Like, Joanne loved her cousins, loved her brother. Like, she's a big family woman, okay? So they were a big, strong family, and their grandma was, like, the head of it, okay? She was the boss, the Don, the man, the goat. Like, she was the one who held it down. And after grandma died, her sizable fortune was then basically fought over and picked and probed and prodded at by the entire family, including her cousin, Tim. So remember how I mentioned that, you know, friends and family witnesses had noticed that Joanne was taking a lot of phone calls, you know, places like work. And um, apparently a phone call was made about a week before her disappearance. No longer an instant. It's a disappearance. Her disappearance. And it was from none other than her cousin, Tim Matook. Now, her daughter was in the house at the time. Her daughter was in the other room and did not hear exact words, what was exactly said, but knew that her mother started to yell. Like, she was just furious at however this phone call was going and just immediately hung the phone up. The fun up. The phone up, yeah. I mean, it wasn't fun. So, yeah, she hung that shit up, okay? And so she then immediately goes to her daughter and says, if anything happens to me, look at Tim. I'm sorry. Like, that would have been, to me, if I was a police investigator and I had the woman's daughter, who the woman who just went missing, her daughter, came to me and was like, hey, I really want to bring some of your attention. My, like, mother's cousin basically had some sort of phone call with her. And then she turned to me and said that if something happens to me, look at that man. Hello? That is, to me, like, the golden nugget of, like evidential possibility and police who are also let me let me kind of like add this little sprinkle of fucked up uh tim has a relationship with the police that's right has a relationship with the chief of police he's a very you know well-known man in the community as well you know the matooks they're like you know it's like dallas over there in gross point michigan like they are the it family you know the vanderpumps I mean, is that a thing? I don't even know if that's even a thing. I think it is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Anyways, so, um, you know, the Matooks, they're the It family. So they've got a lot of friends in high places. And in my opinion, and in all of the investigators' opinions, that Joanne did not walk into that lake. She did not commit suicide. That she was abducted in the parking lot of her church, which explains the rip in her purse, and explains the car alarm going off at 7.15, alerting the other members of the congregation that something was going down. Now, days do pass, and, you know, where where's Joanne? Like, where's her body, right? Unfortunately, her body is found at Bobolo Island, and Bobolo Island is 35 miles away from the location where police allege that Joanne walked into, and it is actually along the Detroit, Detroit, oh my god, I feel I'm gonna get a podcast episode one of these days where I'm not gonna, you know, like, mess up a word and say it wrong, so I'm, I, you guys are just gonna grow with me, you know, <laughs> but she was found 35 miles up river, uh, up the Detroit River, off of the island, uh, which is named Bablo Island, and it's on the Canadian side of the river. And it's a pretty popular destination, and it's a you know a lot of it's like a where families take their boats out and just kind of 
hang out you know it's good I'm sure in the summertime it's absolutely stunning okay um but unfortunately her body was found there when her body was found when the autopsy was performed the coroner did state that all of her clothes were intact and on her body her jacket was zipped all the way up her keys were zipped inside of her coat pocket weird little fun fact and I'm actually the same way so it really just kind of like sends shivers down my spine that her daughter states that Joanne never zipped up her coats like same same girl I would oh I would hope my family if they found me with my coat zipped would be like oh no something foul play foul play she never would I don't care how cold it is you know if you got an ensemble you have to like literally leave it open because it's the full picture okay so um her boots also mind you police um they're stating she walked down a sharp embankment over a bunch of rocks and concrete into frozen water her boots were completely intact not scuffed or scathed nothing no rips no tears absolutely perfect on her feet and the only thing missing it seems from her body is her rosary and her phone these two items have never been recovered and are an active still part in the mystery and investigation of Joanne. So when the autopsy is performed, um, they do state that the cause of death is kind of still, um, it's undecided and it's undetermined, but the coroner can say that she did, you know, drown. They just don't know if it was anti-mortem or post-mortem. They said that they did find um, a bruise on her upper shoulder, and they're not sure if that was a bruise caused anti-mortem or post-mortem. So pretty much we're left wondering, you know, did Joanne drown? Was she alive when she drowned or was she already dead? And um, also, how did her body leave that shallow, currentless body of water into a, another body of water and a whole nother current 35 miles away? Me, being, you know, the curious gal that I am, immediately I'm like, uh, yeah, she was napped, i.e. kidnapped, and taken to another location, and her body was unfortunately dumped. I hope she was not alive for that moment and alive all those days. I can't imagine the fear and the utter terror that would be and my my heart you know goes really goes out to the romaine which is i'm sorry it's her married name when she was married the romaine family and also the matuk family as well i i'm sure you guys sounds like you guys really lost an amazing person and this case is just so mind-bogglingly like obvious that this was a you know a kidnapping and a murder and it's just totally was mishandled by gross point michigan police and it's just it's really sad um but you know the autopsy to me is just a more further of an indication that something happened this was not a planned thing i mean who do you know fills up their gas tank before they go and commit suicide i mean i'm really and then who like, who, who would just, like, not leave any evidence of a note or any kind of, like, proof or, I guess, inclination that they would do such a thing? And like I said, you know, she is a devout Catholic. That is, an, 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 that's an, a mortal sin. You can't commit suicide. Like, anyone knows. <laughs> you know, if you're going to, you know, not break a rule, that's the one you don't break. You feel me? So, 
I just, there's so many things with this case that just, like, don't sit well with me. And the fact that, like, none of the suspects are really actively being investigated anymore. I mean, this did happen, like, 20, you know, 13 years ago. This was up in 2010. It's just so mind-boggling to me. And it just shows that if you are powerful and you know the right people, anything is possible. And that is a brutally horrifying thing to know. You know what I mean? So, um, of course, if you guys know anything about the case of Joanne Matuk, please go to unsolvedmysteries.com and leave a tip. And I know the investigators that are hired by the family and the family would greatly appreciate it. Uh, this is one of these moments I really wish I was a psychic medium because I would really like to know how this even happened to this woman. I mean, like, she sounds like a really great person, but then it's like, you never know. Like, did Joanne have a dark side? Was something, like, shifty with her, too? I don't know. Like, was it the brother? I mean, it makes sense. He, he did know a lot of shady people, but, like, also the cousin. That, to me, just doesn't set well with me. Like, the whole... <laughs> just the it's so godfather-esque and i i just really hope that one day a conclusion is made and we actually know what happened to joanne matuk but again thank you guys for being with me on this journey it is 444 i swear to god right now on the clock as i'm ending this so that's a good sign i hope this was a good episode for you guys it definitely was for me um and again thank you guys for just being on this journey with me any all of my active listeners I really 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 appreciate you I'm just a girl sitting on the floor of her closet you know in my nice little quiet area just being weird and just talking about the kind of things that just interest me and I'm glad that I'm finding other people who find it interesting too so I hope you guys will catch me on our next episode and I will talk to you guys later Bye. And that's a wrap, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And of course, this week's episode was sponsored by Parade Underwear. That's right, Parade Undies. And Parade now actually has swimsuits. And I know I mentioned this last time that they were having like a really great promotion, but this promotion is even better. So if you would like to unlock your mystery offer, go over to yourparade.com and use code M-I-S-I-N-T-E-R-P-R-E-T-T-H is at checkout to save 30%. So if you want to get some, maybe a nice little set for your lady friend, or if you are the lady friend and you just want to look like totally cute, definitely check them out. They're all size inclusive. They're totally comfortable, breathable cotton. I love them. And it just honestly makes me feel better when I'm just, you know, wearing a big oversized t-shirt and the same sweatpants I have worn for like three days if I have a matching cute set underneath, you know? It's just like a little nice surprise for me. So again, if you want to save some coin at checkout, go to yourparade.com and use code MISINTERPRETTHIS. That's M-I-S-I-N-T. 
E-R-P-R-E-T-T-H-I-S. All right, guys. See you on the next one. Later. Bye.